Now we are live on another episode of Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network. First time I've ever made this screw up. I just went through this 90-second monologue, and I hadn't hit the go live button yet. You know what? The second time will be even better, and this is going to be a great episode. We have so much to talk about, so many big fights coming up. I want to remind you, remind you that Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network is served by the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh, I love that food. I was just out at the Quarter Deck on Monday night. We had a little old Five Reasons watch party out there. We saw a Florida Panthers win, unfortunately a heat loss, but I had a great time, bros. I was knocking down the two-for-one happy hour. That is all day, every day. That's not just a Dono deal. Everybody can get the two-for-one drinks at the Quarter Deck. It is the best spot to wet your whistle. The beer is always ice cold at the Quarter Deck. My friends, the food is so delicious. I love the fresh seafood at the quarter deck. The buffalo shrimp is my favorite appetizer. I build my own poke bowl with tons of fresh toppings. The sushi is on point. The burgers and sandwiches are absolutely elite. The quarter deck is the best place to watch every big game and every big fight. There's a, a pretty big game coming up at the end of the NFL season in about a week and a half. I think for promotional reasons, I can't say the official name of that game. You know the one I'm talking about two Sundays from now. The Quarter Deck is an awesome place to watch that with the great food and drink specials. The Quarter Deck, and I know our audience loves this, this is the place to watch every UFC pay-per-view fight for zero cover charge. You want to find the location nearest to you, or peep their menu before you go. Visit them on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The Quarterdeck, come for the food, stay for the fun. I am Alex Dono. Let me introduce my co-host, as always, uh, the man over to my left, Frank Zaffrey, the real Frank Z. How are you? I'm good, brother. I, hey, listen, we've got to talk a little bit about what you got going on later on tonight, so don't forget to, to get into that. Absolutely. We have James Walker right down below. How are you, James? I'm doing great, and uh, I'm glad things are warming up a little bit in South Florida. Uh, I was kind of complaining <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. It was, it was a little cold down here. I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm a native now because I complain when it's under 70 degrees. Yeah, and you know, I don't mind the cold, but I don't have a lot of warm clothes. So it's not yep. the most convenient because I'm a true Floridian where I have a very minimal cold weather wardrobe uh and yeah we i will talk a little bit about what i've got going on later on tonight it, it does involve and, and those who watch this channel and if you follow me on social media you are aware i'm sure that uh larry bluestein our boy blue who's everybody's pal down here he's made so many awesome connections and touched so many lives he's doing considerably better but he's still in a rough way he's been very very ill in the hospital for the last uh almost three weeks now um, you may know he is a kidney transplant patient, had a kidney transplant about a decade ago. He also had some heart issues. So he had a, a case of COVID that really impacted uh, some of his other issues. And, um, you know, within the last two weeks, he was intubated and sedated, and he has since come off of that. Uh, he's actually been moved to a rehab center. He's, he's you know, breathing on his own, eating on his own, sitting up, watching TV. So he's he's going through physical therapy, and I'm going to be doing a show in a little less than two hours on 560 WQM. I'm actually hosting Larry's show, the South Florida High School Sports Show. We're going to be talking about the GoFundMe uh, page for his care, and I'm going to be talking to some journalists who, who like me, uh, that have uh, been touched uh, by Blue, uh, lives that he's touched throughout the year. So make sure you guys tune into that. This is a clunky segue because this, this, my friends, I want to play here uh, an excerpt 
from this video that uh, Jorge Masvidal has been pumping this out on social media. And he may have even collaborated. I'm sure he did actually collaborate in making this video. So, you know, we have coming up March 5th. It's less than a month away. UFC 272. We're going to get the grudge match between former best friends, Jorge Masvidal, Gamebred, and Colby Chaos Covington. These guys used to be roommates. They used to be inseparable. They hate each other's freaking guts now. Colby recently referred to Masvidal as Street Judas. So Masvidal, I'm going to play an excerpt from this here. Masvidal now has made this video calling Colby, exposing him as the real Street Judas. Judas Covington. My sparring partner is Jorge Masvidal, my best friend. Jorge's my best friend, dude. Like, he's the only exception. I don't got any other friends. Jorge's like my only friend, man. If you knew the stuff we've been through. Two against the world. Jorge Masvidal, I, I want to end that, dude. I want to break his face, and, and I want to end him for just the piece of shit that he is. The truth is, is Jorge Masvidal is a piece of shit father. He's a piece of shit fighter. Wait a minute. Who are you? I know there's some... Some barriers you just don't cross. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about race. Brazil, you're a dog. Hey, the animals suck. Brazilian members of the team, and there's a lot of them at ATT saying that they're upset. They want them out. Are we not entitled to our own opinion? Don't we have free speech? Hmm. But didn't Dan, like, institute a rule where he didn't want the teammates talking about each other? Yeah, exactly. So we're in the Colby Covington business, Ariel. I'm not in the Dan Lambert business. I'm not... Oh, man. I, I, I'm going to stop it right there because I'm, I'm not sure if we're allowed to play the whole thing, but that is an excerpt. Uh, I, I thought our guy Alex M. said it best. Masvidal, he kept the receipts. Like, that. that is a, a work of art. And, and, Frank, I'll start with you on this one because how many times have we had this conversation, James as well, of course, that there just there aren't enough fighters out there who just know how to play the promotional game at a really high level. Both of these guys do. With Colby, I think a lot of it is shtick, and he enjoys pushing people's buttons and being the bad guy. Masvidal, I think, is a lot more authentic, and he just kind of presents to you like maybe a very sort of flamboyant, exaggerated version of himself. But, I mean, the way that he did, and that video is over five minutes long, like the way he's able to parse through so many of the what he makes look very hypocritical things that Colby has said over the years and expose him, that is some of the best like organic promotion because the UFC is not buying ads to pay for that. Like these are, these are the fighters promoting their own fight at a really high level. Yeah. I mean, that that's what Colby's about. I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. It started to keep him in the league. I think everyone needs to remember that he was going to be cut. He was notified. Dan Lambert at American top team was notified that Colby Covington, despite being on a winning streak, would not be re-signed by the UFC because he did not move the needle. So he adopted a WWE-style personality you know, uh, thing and, and went on a tear that has garnered him attention that no, I don't think anyone could have ever imagined befalling a fighter whose style is not exciting and whose you know, talents don't lend themselves to highlight real video footage. So, I mean, it, it has worked perfectly. Um, we all know, everyone, know, th this is what I don't get. Like, everyone who's associated 
with Colby or has been in a gym with him or knows anyone that knows it. Everyone knows that it's a thing that he's doing to move the needle. Everyone knows that. So I don't know what George thinks he's exposing with the video. I mean, yeah, he's right. Colby's a quiet, polite, deferential person in real life and doesn't act that way. Yes, you're right. But I, but, but to, I don't understand what you're trying to convince us of to not watch the fight. Like, I don't get, like, I don't get where that's going because George, George is, I think you said it pretty well, Alex. I mean, George is maybe an exaggerated version of himself, but I wouldn't call him more authentic. Like, you know, he was a street fighter and he's dedicated himself to learning a complete craft and becoming a really good pro in mixed mm -hmm. martial arts. But he was very nondescript and not really kind of. And then he suddenly has a, his his meteoric rise came was associated with his embracing the Tony Montana, Mr. Miami, Mr. 305 thing that he's got going on now, which is a huge departure from the George Masvidal we had in studio years ago at QAM. I mean, yeah. you know, those, those two guys are, really he was wearing like sweatpants and now he's wearing like yeah. suede, like silk. <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, but that's why I said, like, I, I, I don't feel like it's that different from what he used to be back in his Bellator days. I just think now he's like, I'm, I'm very Miami. Cause he, he is like very Miami. He's got that whole bro kind of thing, but it's like, let, let me just like it's like an only in Dade thing for those who follow those social media accounts where they like, you know, they, they do a lot of the stereotypical Miami stuff. Like he really kind of embraced that part of his personality, I think, James. Yeah. And I don't think Masvidal had to look very far um, to find contradictions to put together. You said the video was five minutes. It could have been 15 minutes uh, easily. Yeah. I mean. It's no secret, as Frank mentioned. I, I don't know if "exposed" is the right word. Every, everyone kind of knows. Um, you know, it's kind of a not so secret, you know, thing that that this is what Kobe's doing um, to to sell fights. So um, it's you know, it's good promotion. It's something good to put to put out there. Uh, but I think the intrigue in this is that Kobe is willing to go that far to say these personal things, whether he truly means it or not. The fact that he's willing to do that against adversaries and, and make them even more upset. Um, so, you know, the, I think the intrigue is that people are buying, are going to pay for the pay-per-view to see what's going to happen because Kobe is uh, kind of taking things so far to, to make this, uh, you know, adversarial. Kobe doesn't really get into, um, you know, just regular fights anymore. It seems like all of his fights are grudge matches now. And that's why they sell grudge matches against Usman, grudge matches yeah. against Tyron Woodley. Um, you know, grudge match against Masvidal, you know, all his all his fights are grudge match. And I think that's what really sets him apart and makes him sort of a, you know, sort of becoming almost a mainstream star in that respect, because, you know, you can't you can't really make that, um, you know, as as well as most, you know, most fighters. So I think that's kind of what's separating. And I think that's what makes this fight a main event is because it's a grudge match. It's not a title match. Um, you know, it's not even, uh, you know, something, you know, the next guy in line will get a title shot. I don't think. Uh, maybe, but um, but yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. Now, I want to remind everybody, I see some great people in the live chat. Uh, Alex M, our boy. They're all our boys in the live chat and, and girls as well. If there are any women watching uh, Alex M, I see in there. Uh, J Mel plug. I see in there. Thank you, Tony. Two times I see in the chat. So if you guys are watching us live. Um, it's a good community. I, I think, uh, especially for this show, we all, we're all a little crazy. Like I think anybody who, uh, who's a junkie for combat sports, we're all a little crazy. We have that in common. I think everybody is usually pretty civil with one another in the live chat. So do not be afraid to partake 
And whether you're watching us live or you're watching us uh, on replay later, smash the like button. Hit the like button and make sure you subscribe to Five Reasons Sports. So, okay, I want to get into this Judas thing, though. And, and James, I'll start with you on this one because, like, I, I get it. Like, like, like Frank said it, that, you know, people who are close to Colby and have trained with him, they probably understand, maybe they all understand that what he's doing is shtick and he's he's created this character for himself to stealth to sell fights and stay relevant and it's working but james in your mind are there certain lines you cannot cross and part of that was what masvidal put in that video like colby covington and these are his words has literally referred to his former best friend as a shitty father uh yeah. he's 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 taken these instagram pictures with a woman colby has that he claims is masvidal's wife um and i I tried to do some digging on like how that works. Like uh, apparently it may have been somebody he was like legally married to and, but it's a strange, I, I don't know the, the backstory for that is, is ridiculous, but he's doing like Instagrams with a woman that he claims is Masvidal's wife. And he's being disrespectful about that. Like when you start crossing lines, like family it's like, I can kind of understand why you would call him a Judas when he yeah. does stuff like that. Yeah, that, that was exactly my point. I was going to say, I, I think where the Judas part comes in is the betrayal of of taking things, making things so personal, extra personal. Now, it's one thing if Kobe said, you know, look, you know, Masvidal is an average fighter and, you know, he's he's had a tons of tons of losses and I'm going to run through him. You know, that's kind of what Kamaru Usman said. You know, he's a journeyman, things like that. And, and, and Masvidal didn't take that personal, you know, but when you start bringing family in and fatherhood and wives and all that kind of stuff and country, you know, which he did with the Brazilians and things like that, you know, that's, that's, that's just, I think that's kind of too far. And I, you know, I think that's something that I think Kobe eventually, I don't know when he's going to look back at this, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, whenever, but I think at that point, I think he'll have some level of regret that he took it too far because he's, he's could have made it just as entertaining if he just kept it within the cage, you know, just kept it right. with a fighting style or a fighter's record. Well, and even like if, if you're going to talk trash, like talk about like the sparring sessions you used to have. Yeah. If you want to say this guy, oh, he's my former best friend and he betrayed me. I think that that's all in bounds. I think the family stuff is out of bounds. Yep. Guys, guys, I mean, are you living in the same world I'm living in? I mean, <laughs> everyone, everyone is turning the volume up higher and higher and higher. I mean, you guys sound as old as me, and I appreciate that because I don't want to feel like the oldest guy on the show. But, yeah, I wish we could all keep it civil, and I wish it could, we could just talk about the fighting, and I'm old school, and we should shake hands when we're done, and I get it. But that's not the world we live in. And you've got to keep turning that volume up, unfortunately, because if it's not ratcheted all the way up, it'll get drowned out by some other jackass who's saying outrageous <laughs> shit, you know, and it's probably in a Jake Paul promotion. So we've got to I mean, that, this is what's going on. And, and yes, he crosses lines, but I think he does it because the magnification pays him. And to James's yeah. point or question or, or thinking about will he look back and regret? No. I think Colby, I, from what I know of him and the time I got to spend being a, a little bit of, uh, of a uh, of a hang around guy with him, I'm going to tell you right now, like he's very strong mind. Like he does not need a big network of friends, and he knows who he is, and he has very strong sense of 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 who he is, and he doesn't need that validation. I think he'll be counting the money and saying that that worked, you know, that worked, and I think he understands. I think he's bright enough to understand that he only has a little bit of a time to make as much money as he can because you know the next transition is going to be a lot harder to monetize well, so and, and, and frank and frank to that point like because because the other side of it is masvidal and 
you know, Colby saying some very personal stuff about his family life. Do you think even in his case, win or lose, when the fight is over, he realizes how much extra money he's made from that fight? He, Whether he admits it or not, he can let some of this stuff slide. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. I mean, you know, look, I think what what is being revealed a bit, and, and this might be me being old and actually buying into this stuff a little bit, but, uh, you know, I think uh, George is taking it personally. I think it's, I think it's affecting him. I think the, I think the, the betrayal of friendship and crossing the lines. And I think he has a kind of like a street justice mentality where it's like, you've done some things that now need to be answered for kind of thing. And, you know, that's going to affect him. That's going to affect his preparation. That's going to affect how he he goes into the fight. It'd be very interesting to see how it manifests itself because Colby, you can hate him. I get it, but he's a cool customer. He can mm-hmm. talk all that junk and go crazy, crossing lines and being vilified nationally and internationally. And he will show up cool as a as a cool customer as it can be. And he will fight a game plan. He might lose like he did to Uzma, but it won't be because he's nervous or anxious or rattled, you know. Yeah. But so I'd like to see how Masvidal handles this because I can't remember a fight for George where he's been he's been dissed like this and felt no, like I can't this either. kind of animus. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, yeah. very, good, very good point, Frank. And, and and one one thing I wanted to add to something that you had said earlier about him almost getting kicked out of the UFC. I don't think people give Kobe enough credit for ratcheting up his style inside the cage as well. His his first five, six fights in the UFC were not entertaining. His last five or six fights in the UFC have been very entertaining. Uh, so not only has he sort of ratcheted things up outside the cage, He's also become a more exciting fighter, even though he uses the same style, wrestling heavy, uh, although he's done a lot more striking lately. But, um, you know, he's 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 a much more exciting fighter, you know, in in the last three or four years than he was in his first three or four years in the cage. I co-sign on what you're saying, and I think Tony two times was saying something similar here in this comment. He says, I think Colby beats Masvidal. Seeing Colby's growth as a fighter, especially in his loss to Usman, he added to the toolbox, and he can take the physical abuse as well as he can dish it. Yeah, I mean, um, before Colby ever got to the UFC, you know, he was training down here at ATT. I called probably two of his fights, uh, two or maybe three, with fight time promotions, you know, when he was going up the regional circuit. Um, he didn't talk much, right? Like, uh, you know, when when you're – sometimes you get access to kind of interviewing fighters before you call their fight, and a lot of times these guys – really strong personalities, really eager to tell you their life story and stuff. Like Colby just seemed like a really quiet, shy dude. I knew about his credentials wrestling in Oregon, you know, state champ, excellent, excellent wrestler. And yeah, when I was calling his fights, he was a lay and pray guy. Like he was just, you know, you couldn't stop his takedowns. He had no interest in striking. I mean, for all I knew, he was just going to be another Ben Askren. Like I, I didn't, I didn't even know that Colby Covington could throw a punch when he was coming up early in his career. And, you know, once he got to the UFC, he saw the need to evolve, round out his game, obviously had excellent training, you know, most of that time with ATT. He's since left American Top Team, but excellent training. And, yeah, to his credit, he he really has become a very functional boxer. Like, he will never have the sort of God-given power that Kamaru Usman has, which, you know, was one of the disadvantages he had in those fights that Usman had just had more fight-ending power than Colby did. That's why he lost the first fight that he may have been on his way to winning on the scorecards. But, yeah, I mean, he has – and, and I, I I agree with that part of it. And, guys, it's crazy. This fight is just over a month away now. I mean, March 5th is going to be here 
before we know it. And we do we do have license to, you know, three weeks from now, change our picks if we want to. But I don't think I'm going to change my pick, Frank. I mean, I'm I'm going with Colby Covington to win this fight. I agree with what Tony two times said. Uh, I just think Colby is too methodical and he's got more ways to win and can dictate where this fight takes place. If Masvidal is going to beat him, it's probably going to be some spectacular TKO that he's able to pull off. But Colby, to me, is just too good to lose this fight. Yeah, it was a rare occasion when I I found myself really disagreeing with Dean Thomas when he was on. I don't see this as potentially closer than what you're describing, uh, unless Colby was emotional and rushed in on George and gave him uh, the opportunity, you know, to 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 hit him or to to land some punches in a in a in a fighting style where where Colby was being careless. But he's just too Colby's just too good at following a game plan. He's got that jab. The way his the way his stance is set up, as you point out, if he wants it to go to the ground, it's going to the ground. You know that at all times, and that disadvantages your striking and your kicking and what you can do. And meanwhile, he's just rapid fire uh, hitting the jab off your head, and he'll he'll throw five hundred strikes and not get tired. Let, we can't forget that either. I mean, look, Masvidal is no slouch. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him, but Colby's second level cardio. I mean, he's yeah. he's right up there with some of the best I've ever seen in terms of stamina. So five hundred strikes, no big deal for him in this fight with Masvidal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cardio is going to be the difference. Wrestling is going to be the difference. Um, and you know, like like Frank said, if, if Colby makes the mistake gets emotional and tries to just have a brawl uh, with Masvidal. I think that gives Masvidal the best chance, but we haven't seen Kobe lose his cool in the octagon at all. It doesn't matter who he's, who he's fighting. He sticks to his plan. Um, and, and if anything gets, gets the opponents out of their game plan. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm picking Kobe as well. Uh, I, I hold the right to, to reserve to change, but I, I don't think I'll change either. Yeah. I always, I, I don't think I'll change on this one like you, but I, I always say it. If ever we're talking about a big fight, a month in advance, man, I, I reserve the right to change my thought. Um, you know, we also have a, a UFC fight night event coming up this weekend, including in the main event, one of the more controversial personalities in the octagon right now. I mean, if, if, if some of you, if you think Colby shtick is toxic, uh, Sean Strickland, I think, takes that to even a higher level. So uh, let's get into it. Frank Zaffrey is always the MC for the best part of every show, a new episode of The Toss Up. I'm so close to being prepared. Is Sean Strickland toxic or good for UFC business? Uh, you could probably say both, but I I don't know. Sean Strickland is growing on me. Like I'm I'm not saying I would build a presidential ticket around this individual. Oh, uh, you know he he's like okay, so he he even admitted. I got to be very careful the way that I phrase this. He even admitted that as a youth, he youth. was. As a Ute, he was involved as a neo-Nazi, but he got out of it because he he got some diversity in his life. And I, I think it's actually like it goes to show you, like Rocky Balboa said in Rocky Four, everyone can change, right? Like the fact that he came on the other side of that, and uh, I, I think is and and you know he's a self-proclaimed uh, hillbilly, right? A self-proclaimed white trash. He commonly refers to himself as. Um, he's he's legitimately deranged. Like he he reminds me a, a little bit of he's he's kind of a mix between a few different fighters, right? Just the oddness uh, that is Strickland, and I think it is very authentic. But may, maybe he does kind of like I said about Masvidal. He might magnify it a lot, you know, to try and to try and sell more fights. But he reminds me a little bit of Diego Sanchez, like just how unhinged he is. 
Uh, but when he actually fights, this is why I do have a little love for Sean Strickland. When he actually fights, he's got a little Diaz brother in him because he's constantly trash talking. Like to me, it looks tiring enough just to fight the way that he fights because it's a lot of pressure, high striking volume, always moving forward, a lot of pressure. If I were trying to do that, I would probably just be so winded. I'm just focusing on throwing punches. But this guy is like mother bleeping you and trash talking while he's throwing punches. So uh, I enjoy that. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you guys and some of our viewers, you saw that his self-made MTV Cribs video that he put out this week. So this dude is the number seven ranked middleweight in the UFC. And he basically lives in squalor. Like he lives, you know, by himself in a, a one-bedroom apartment he claims in a bad neighborhood somewhere somewhere in las vegas he's got two pieces of furniture he's got a coffee table actually yeah just two he's got like a coffee table a couch that he says he bought at like a thrift store and a mattress with no bed frame on it he's got multiple handguns for every occasion like he's got like he's got like a sniper and he keeps them like in the table right by the front door he's got like a sniper rifle he didn't really explain what that was for He's got a large handgun and he's got a small handgun that he says that's the one he takes down to the mailbox just in case he needs to shoot a crackhead is what he said. So it's like, bros, I love a good train wreck. OK, um, you know, I remember we did a segment a few months ago after Sean Strickland said some very controversial remarks. And our friend Kevin Ioli despised these remarks where he talked about, you know, he approaches a fight like he's literally trying to kill his opponent. Right. And it's. It's a distasteful thing to say, but at some point, I, I just I, I respect the self-awareness that Sean Strickland seems to have because he admitted early in his UFC career, he didn't talk much because he knew his mouth would get him into trouble. Now he feels like he's good enough that they're not just going <laughs> to cut him for saying something stupid so he can let the personality out. Uh, and again, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, want to get too involved in a circle of friends or endorse him on a presidential ticket, but. I enjoy watching this dude, and I think anybody who brings that many eyes to the set, and, and James, I'll start, uh, I'll go next to you on this one. I think anybody who brings that many eyes to the set is good for the UFC at the end of the day. Man, Alex, I am completely on the other side of that. I think he's completely toxic for the UFC. He will never be the face, can never be the face of the UFC, can never be the voice of the UFC, can never be their biggest representation as a champion, even if he did win the belt, which I don't think he will. Um, eventually too much, just, just too much. Um, th there's more bad things that he said than actually good things, um, that he said in the public and you went through a, a litany of things, so I won't even get into all, all that, but I, it's, I, I'm, I'm just ready for him to not really be, uh, in the conversation, uh, at, at all. I, I, his fighting styles is, is cool, but there's one thing like Kobe stick where, you know, yeah, you don't agree with most of what Kobe says, but you kind of know that he doesn't really believe most of the stuff he's saying. Right. Sean, I don't know, man. I mean, yeah. he's, he's crazy enough to where I'm like, eh, maybe he believes most of what he says. Maybe he believes 50% of what he says, but even then that's, that's stuff that, you know, he, he shouldn't be saying. So I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of done with him. Not a fan fighting style. Okay. But I just can't, I'm, I'm just not a fan of the person outside the cage. Uh, I'm going to side with old man Walker on this. Uh, really? You know, yeah. Look, I man, thought I'd I, have you on this one. Well, it's weird that you went from old guy to young guy, kind of like in the span of just a few minutes. You know, uh, you know, you don't like that nasty trash talking. You can't cross the family line. But, you know, suddenly you want to celebrate basically 
one of the one of the saddest examples of me- mental illness in professional athletics today in the United States, which is which is Strickland. So all I, I mean, know I, is I'm not I'm not going to lurk around his mailbox if he's if he's getting the mail because I know I know he's packing, looking to shoot somebody. So I, I'm going to be careful around his mailbox. I'm just glad that he has this sport right now because I think it might be the thing that's keeping him together. And I worry about the future for him, just based on the things he says. I mean, they're 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 sad and a little bit terrifying. Um, but he's also an interesting interview, um, and his fighting style lends itself to enter, to being entertaining. But uh, I don't think he's a complete enough package to really be a title contender in that in that division, the UFC. But I've been wrong plenty of times. He said, if not for the UFC, he would probably be in a trailer cooking meth. Is what he is what he said. Yeah, probably those are, right. Those are yeah. All right. Well, on that, uh, Bruce Buffer said, "No offense to other organizations, but you become irrelevant when you leave the UFC after a while." We're the best examples of fighters who left the UFC and stayed relevant. Yeah. So Bruce Buffer was talking about Francis Ngannou, who hasn't for sure left the UFC, but he's in a contract dispute and i think there's a pretty good chance he there's a decent chance he never fights in the octagon again and i'm not going to argue bruce buffer's point like i mean how, how many how many fighters have you know left the ufc to go over to bellator let's say and you know get a nice paycheck and some decent opponents and it's just they're not in the public eye because i you know, it's so different from the landscape of boxing where so many great fighters are on different promotional banners and they'll fight each other and co-promote. The UFC doesn't play that game with other MMA organizations and they have the monopoly on talent. So you can be a very good fighter outside the UFC, but people really aren't going to care. Now, with that said, it's not to say there are no examples. You know, unfortunately, the organization I'm going to cite here no longer exists because the UFC bought them. But, like, I, I would argue, you know, remember uh, when Dan Henderson had a contract dispute with the UFC and went over to Strike Force? I think he stayed just as relevant. I mean, he went over there, had some good fights, won their light heavyweight belt, got a chance to beat Fedor, which no one in the UFC was ever able to do because Fedor never fought in the UFC. That, 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 to me, is one of the most relevant fighters to never set foot in the octagon. But if you're talking about people who have left the UFC and stayed relevant, uh, unless one of you has a better one, I think Dan Henderson is probably the best example. Uh, Chris Cyborg, not a terrible one, but I know I don't follow her as closely in Bellator as I did when she was in the UFC. Dan Henderson, I did. What do you think, James? Yeah, I was thinking Cyborg and Bader um, as far as recent examples who have done pretty well, but not really relevant. So Buffer, I, I agree with Buffer. I think he has a, a really good point, especially I, I like how Buffer uh, qualified it as after a while. Because, yeah, there might be one fight, their initial fight. Oh, Yoel Romero is about to fight. Rumble Johnson is about to fight. But then after two or three fights, you kind of forget that they're, you know, that they're even in these other organizations. So. Um, yeah, Mighty Mouse. That's a that's a good example as well. But I mean, are we fight? Are we following every Mighty Mouse fight that's coming up? I usually don't know when it, you know who's his next opponent is. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good point. Um, yeah, there's there's you do you definitely lose relevancy uh, to a high degree when you leave the UFC. Now, P- Paige Van Zant has been pretty relevant, but it's mostly because uh, her Instagram photos are incredible. Like she, she does, she's doing her thing at BKFC and she does some AEW pro wrestling show. So she, she's definitely stay relevant. You know, it's, it's difficult. You, you actually need to look at it from the other, from the other direction. 
uh, and I'll explain that in a second. But Bruce said when you leave the UFC, so examining that first, I would say, yeah, it almost never happens. They would stay relevant. Maybe Ryan Bader, who just won, you know, but, right. but uh, you know, like it almost never happens because the UFC is the pinnacle of your ability to earn money typically in MMA. And when they let you go, it's because you've got no more mileage left. And so then you get to another organization and you end up looking uh, half of what you used to be. And of course you lose relevance. Um, but, you know, so, the, you know, if he's taking a shot at maybe warning Francis Ngannou, we haven't seen too many people at the height of their power, at the height of their fame, walk away. Now, looking at it from the other direction, I mean, I would look at Nick Diaz. I would look at Eddie Alvarez. I would yeah. look at, uh, I don't know, we could just run off a whole list of names of fighters who have existed in other organizations, but have been exceptionally yeah. relevant in the MMA world. And some of them have eventually entered the UFC. Uh, but, you know, so looking at it from that direction, you can absolutely be very relevant and not be in the UFC. But once you're in the UFC, you know, you're not leaving until, you know, they don't want you anymore. And they don't want you anymore, typically because you can't fight anymore. Right. Although, you know, if, if Francis Ngannou were to walk away, it's very much in his prime. And, uh, and I think he would absolutely lose relevancy i mean he he wants to box but what happens when he gets exposed like he is well that's yeah that would be a little different but yeah, you know yeah. yeah that would be a little bit different if he did that but what, what if he just became an mma what if he just became like what if he went over to bellator and he was the reigning heavyweight champion you think he would lose relevance yeah, because there's there's not there's not a whole lot of uh, well I guess, I guess that they, they have they have a decent heavyweight division, but it's still what if John it's not Jones went over too and became the reigning two hundred five er and like would now he lose relevance? Talking. No, but I mean I just you know yeah. like I just wonder where where do you draw the line? If Conor McGregor said I'm going to go now fight for Bellator, does he lose relevance? He he might be the best exception because Conor McGregor he is literally bigger than the UFC, bigger than the UFC, and I was. Uh, you know, and and I feel like I've had this conversation with both of you guys before. Uh, but I was watching uh, Randy Couture's interview with Ariel Helwani this week on the MMA Hour, and of course, you know, Randy Couture he knows Francis a little bit because it's his gym uh, that Ngannou is training at Extreme Couture. Although I don't get the sense Randy spends a whole lot of time at his gym; he's mostly off filming movies and hobnobbing and stuff. But Randy Couture, you know, about 14 years ago, 15 years ago, he had a big contract dispute with the UFC. Eventually, it got resolved but they even you know they created a, an interim title while he was away i know that they create interim titles every day now but back then it was a, like 2007 it was a big deal to create an interim title and he eventually did came, come back and he he fought brock lesnar but you know he he even said it that part of the part of the thing that does work for the ufc but doesn't necessarily work for the fighters all the time is the ufc does not want any individual fighter to be bigger than their brand you know, and Frank, you're the one who usually says that if you're talking about who's the biggest star in the UFC, you say it's Dana White. Some people say it's just the, the three letters. It's the UFC itself. So when you get somebody who becomes larger than life, like a Conor McGregor, it becomes very difficult. And Conor is so big that he I mean, he could fight the rest of his career. He could fight for Triller and he would still make, you know, multi-millions of dollars. You know what? It doesn't really matter for him. But I, I don't even think you have to do it that way. You could just look at anyone in the UFC who has been a champion a, a, a long enough to have cleared out most of the top challenges in their division. Israel Adesanya, you know, guys like that. Like if they go over to another right, if they if they go over to like Bellator right now, I don't see how they lose relevance. 
They're at the height of their power. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a challenge. There's not something they're obviously running from where the UCs do well, they just can't face the best. Right. You know, and now they're over here. And I, I you know, I, I don't know. I just uh, I think they gotta worry about Francis Ngannou is what I'm getting at. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. tired of I'm tired of the team Dana here thing where now Bruce Buffer's gonna tell me what's gonna happen to a fighter if they leave the league. I mean, come on. Well, he's Francis a company Ngannou. man. <laughs> yeah, but just shut up and play poker and call fights, man. I don't want to hear about it for the most narcissistic guy in the fight game. God, an asshole. Oh. Yeah. Right. So just you know, let's just you know stay in your lane, Bruce Buffer. Do you remember Frank? Frank, you were with me the time uh, that we interviewed Bruce. I mean, he's just he's such a businessman. Like he reminds me of uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Like he's always <laughs> trying to sell you something. Like what? Because yeah. he, he was he was promoting a book. But it's like anytime you would like ask him a question, he would like direct you to buy his book. And then he had like a mobile app where he would like charge people like 30 bucks for him to record like personalized. Maybe he was directing us yeah. to the mobile. It's like, wow, this guy, he's got he's got like 10 hustles, like 10 side hustles. Yeah. And wouldn't do a and wouldn't do a, a recording for us for our show. Either. Yeah, yeah, that's that right. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted him to do a personalized recording. All right, well, what else we got in the toss up? Uh, who do you favor in Adesanya, who I just mentioned, and Whitaker later this month? You know, this one, yeah, it's, uh, I think, uh, what is it, February 12th? February uh, 19th? Uh, 12th, yeah. 12th, 12th, okay, oh, yeah. Right before the Super Bowl, yeah. So it's like, oh, it's right, yeah, so it's not this Saturday, it's the following Can week. I say that, Super Bowl? I'm not promoting it. I'm you can say it, yeah, as long as you're not trying to sell something by using the Super Bowl to sell it. You can, it's, Brady's it's, out. Yeah. Is anyone going to watch the game? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is he out? He's out, out. He retired. Yeah. So he's never watch football again. Yeah, what's even the point now that Tom Brady is out? <laughs> yeah, we, we just uh we, we follow the dysfunctional Miami Dolphins and what they have going on oh uh behind God. the scenes. It, what, what what a what a shit show that is. And now I'm I, I smell you know, the smoke from that fire burning down there in Miami Gardens right now. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, with uh as far as Adesanya versus Whitaker. Man, uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. And like the the more the more that I I study it and study their recent performances, you know, when when this fight was was announced, uh, and they've they've fought before, of course. But when this fight was announced, I was leaning to the current champion. I'm now leaning to the challenger because I actually Ooh. think that the the run that Whitaker has been on since losing to Adesanya, he is. I think he's put in the best performances of his career. He just looks so much sharper. And in years past, he fought injured so many times. So assuming assuming he's about as close to 100% healthy as a professional fighter can be in this one, uh, I'm actually I'm thinking that Whitaker is going to pull off the mild upset. And I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. Yeah, I really like this matchup, and it's a little bit overdue. I, I thought Whitaker should have got the shot, as you know, Alex, over your boy Marvin Vittori. They should have fought last summer. Whitaker had earned it. He had beat Cannoneer. He had beat Darren Till. He had pretty much cleaned out the division as the number one contender, uh, you know, and did a favor for Adesanya. But, um, man, this is this is a hard pick, especially a, a little early. But I, I will say this. I'm kind of wondering if we've seen peak Adesanya already. That's another know? thing I'm thinking. Yeah. Have have we seen the best from him already? With the with the pinnacle performance being against Paulo Costa, he was untouchable in that fight in his prime. Just masterful masterful performance against what many thought was his toughest challenge at that time. Since then, you know, we had the Jan Belhovich fight, we had the Marvin Vittori fight. He's looked 
beatable. In fact, he lost one of those fights. He lost to Blahovich, even though he went up in weight class and he deserves to be commended for that. But he hasn't looked like that untouchable Paulo Costa performance. Um, and, and I'm kind of wondering, I mean, that fight was what, uh, almost two years ago, year and a half ago. I kind of, I'm kind of wondering now, have we seen the best of Adesanya where with Whitaker, he's on the Ascension. I don't know how he's doing it, you know, with all the battles and, and rough battles that he's been through, but he's doing it. He's on the Ascension and, and Adesanya is kind of, kind of tailing off. So, um, you know, that, I think that's kind of the story of this fight is whether or not we've seen the best because to beat Whitaker a sec second time, he's going to need to be in that zone like he was against Paulo Costa. You can't show up like he did against Marvin Vittorio, Jan Blahovich. We're going to have to see the A-plus version of uh, Adesanya to win. This is such a defining moment for Adesanya as a champion. It's it's rare, but when it happens, when there's a champion and there's somebody really dangerous in your division and you have to beat them more than once, and we just saw Kamaru Uzma pull that off, where I think, you know, moving forward, you're thinking like, God, who can stop this guy now? He's dealt with Covington not once but twice. Uh, this fight with Whitaker is the same for Adesanya. I disagree. I, first of all, I can't believe Alex is picking Whitaker. Alex is the biggest Adesanya fan I in the am, world. I, uh, listen, I mean, man, I, I, I call it like I see it. Or, or you know, my strategy might be because I'm such a yeah, bush. Maybe I'm doing it doing. on purpose. Huh? I know what you're doing. Yeah. So, look, Adesanya, too fast. That's the problem for Whitaker. He's just too fast. He his breathtaking speed means that you know Whitaker wants to strike and Adesanya is going to whip him at that. So I just feel like I just feel like that's the story of the fight. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, Blahovich was successful against Adesanya with size and takedowns and overpowering him. We thought Costa could be that guy, but he was not, unfortunately, uh, the challenge that we expected. We thought Yoel Romero could be that challenge. But Adesanya pulled the Anderson Silva versus Damian Maya strategy out uh, from the Dusty Binder and just decided not to do anything. Uh, I think I think this Whitaker fight, though, I don't think it'll end. I don't think it'll be an embarrassing fight for Whitaker, but I think he'll be outstruck and 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 lose by unanimous decision. Here's another piece, and, and that was the toss-up. Here's another uh, story I want to throw at you guys that I, I think this is actually a good idea, even though I hate interim belts. I just kind of respect the fact that they're not going anywhere because the UFC always wants to have titles to put on a poster. However, I think in this case, it does make sense to create an interim belt because you don't know for sure if the champion is ever fighting again, right? I mean, um, you know, we got Nganu in his contract dispute with the UFC. Plus, even if he does come back, it's not going to be for like at least a year because he's having knee surgery. It's going to keep him out. So like in this case, I, I will allow them to create an interim title. And Daniel Cormier's idea, he talked about this on DC and RC on ESPN is, so you make an interim heavyweight title and the people that you have fight for it are John Jones and Stipe Miocic. And I, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Like, and I know I, I see some, a lot of the comments people have made is no surreal gone deserves to fight for it because like his only loss is to the champion. And if the champion is out, he should be the top dog. Um, I don't, I don't really agree. Like he's going to get his opportunity. Like he'd probably fight the winner, like the challenge mm -hmm. for the bell. He'll get his opportunity. I just look like Stipe. Stipe has already been disrespected by not getting involved in, you know, an immediate rematch or an interim title fight. And in the case of John Jones, you know, whether you like it or not, this guy is MMA royalty. Like you've got arguably the greatest pound for pound fighter of all time. 
longstanding light heavyweight champion who never lost that belt, uh, doesn't have a legitimate loss on his record, just a BS disqualification loss from early in his career. So, no, I mean, you know, sometimes people say, oh, new weight class, you don't give a guy an immediate title shot. You make an exception for John freaking Jones. So I think Stipe deserves it. Jones deserves the opportunity. Cyril Gaon can fight the winner. What say you, James? Yeah, I like that idea. And and you're going to need to entice John Jones to get into the octagon. And I think by giving the interim title, uh, you know, on the line, I, I think that's a chance for John Jones to make history, even though it's an interim title. But it's a chance for him to win the belt without actually winning the belt. But he can, you know, but he can say, hey, I, I won the interim heavyweight championship um, in addition to dominating the lightweight division for so many years. Plus, this matches up the two guys that probably most dominated their d- respective divisions over the last five, six, seven years. Um, Stipe, you know, had a great run as, as, as heavyweight champion. He lost it, got it back. Um, and, and John Jones obviously cleaned out his division two or three times to where it wasn't even relevant by the time he left. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a great matchup. And for John Jones, I think Stipe is not a huge guy to where John Jones feels that, you know, uh, you know, Stipe is a heavy puncher, but he's not that threat that Francis Ngannou is getting in the octagon for the first time as a heavyweight. He's he's a big guy, but he's not like overly big to where I think John Jones feels like he can bulk up to be about the same size as Stipe. So it's a good matchup for him in that respect, as opposed to just jumping into the heavyweight division for the first time and facing someone like Francis who could really like overpower him and, and, and knock his block off probably outside the octagon. I'm saying just as a, as a joke, not literally. <laughs> it's the right fight to make. Uh, you guys have all said the reasons, but I, I got. I'm just so excited about it because as as great as Surreal Gan is, he's a little one dimensional. And when, mm-hmm. I, when, I, when I, you know, uh, you know, we know his style and what he wants to do. And Ganu uh, has exhibited some evolution for sure, but still kind of one dimensional. We know what he wants to do. Stipe is the complete package: the wrestling, the 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 the, the Golden Gloves, uh, boxing, uh, everything in between. He he's the total package, and I still believe the most dangerous introductory opponent for a guy like John Jones. So I'm just salivating at the thought of this. I've been hoping, I've mentioned on the show many times that I hoped it would go this way. And I think it has the highest probability of immediately ending John Jones' heavyweight quest. Yeah. I think if I think of John Jones, I think John Jones has a better shot at beating either of the two men that we just saw fight in the heavyweight title fight than he does against Stipe for what I just described. As I know that may sound counterintuitive, but I just think Stipe's complete skill set will cause John Jones a lot of trouble. And yeah, he's and, just and he's a great athlete too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, and, and for everything you just said, like the the only reason why like I'm now on board with the idea of making Jones versus Stipe is nobody knows if Nganu is ever coming back. Like if if Nganu cuz you know, he's technically people talk about the champions clause. The problem is there's a time limit on it. Like people are saying, "Oh no, he's got to fight again in the UFC cuz the champion has to defend the belt." He can run out the clock, and he's doing that. I mean, he elected, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying it's not a serious injury, but the the timing of the knee surgery he's getting where he's waiting until March to get the surgery, he's doing that to directly run out the clock on his UFC contract where the champion's clause is going to get wiped out in a year. So he literally may never come back. And if when you have that uncertainty, you know, I, I was afraid to make Jones versus Stipe while Nganu was active because for everything Frank said that like Stipe poses a serious threat to John Jones. And I didn't want to ruin 
the possibility of Jones fighting Francis by making him fight and potentially lose to Stipe first. But now that I don't know if Stipe is ever coming back, you might as well have Jones fight the fight that makes the most sense. And that's probably Stipe right now. I wonder if there's going to be a contract issue with Jones uh, making that fight because he's obviously not going to get 10 million. He doesn't really have the leverage after his personal issues to get 10 million dollars. Uh, but I wonder if he's going to ask for a lot of money to make that fight or or if he's going to kind of keep his contract in tow and, and fight, uh, you know, fight as as his contract currently states. I wonder I wonder if uh, if Jones should take Frank's idea. Maybe he and, and, and Ganu just both say, like, hey, Scott Coker, let's just let's just come and do this thing in the Bellator cage. Right? How much are you? <laughs> How much will you pay us? Hey, you know, and Ganu's having this knee surgery. It's an MCL and ACL injury, right? Yeah, I think the ACL I don't think is like fully torn. I think I think the uh the MCL is, but the ACL there's I don't think it's like a full tear, but there's there's some issue with the ACL. So his recovery will be faster than the full on ACL tear where you see people out athletes saw, out for I a saw long Something time. about nine to ten months recovery. So I, I may, maybe that was just a, a crappy estimate. I mean, I'm telling you guys, if I have an MCL and ACL tear in my knee you're seeing me at Publix in the electric scooter getting around trying to shop for groceries. He's picking up 255 pound men over the, over his head and body slamming them. I mean, I mean, just let that sink in. This is an authentic injury. This wasn't Tito Ortiz here. This was a real. This was a real injury, and he beats Cyril Gon like that with wrestling. Holy shit! One of the craziest injury stories I've heard, and uh, I have, have either of you guys ever had like a serious knee surgery? I haven't, so I just I, I, I have actually, have? I, yeah, actually tore my ACL playing basketball uh, oh. back in two thousand four. So this was a long time ago. Uh, it it's it's tough, man. Um, I was doing like a stop and pop, and it ended up stopping, and my knee was popping. Um, and, and, uh, the surgery, the surgery is tough. They, they put you to sleep, but waking up from the surgery, that, that was probably the, the most pain I've ever felt just waking up from surgery. I remember going like, ah, and the rehab, the first month or two of rehab is really tough. Cause you're just trying to get your knee to 90 degrees and you're trying to break through all the scar tissue. And it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. I was, I was on crutches for about three months, two and a half months, uh, unable to really put a ton of weight on my leg. And then eventually got back but it's 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 tough and i'm i'm just a normal guy obviously sure. francis and gone who's gonna eat this rehab for lunch and and uh <laughs> you know these you know these professional athletes are gonna eat these rehabs for lunch but for a normal guy to go through an acl tear it's, it's brutal i, I so definitely that, don't wish that on anybody because i remember hearing this story from king mo who had a lot he had a lot of acl troubles and he also like uh he he's he's one of the guys that happened to dominic cruz as well where just like the, the the surgery doesn't pan out. Like they try to put like the cadaver ACL in, which is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the techniques that they use. And it like sometimes your body rejects it. Like it happened with Cruz. It happened with King Mo. But King Mo told me that like 10 years ago, and I don't even know if this is like fathomable, like medically, like he claims he fought without an ACL. Like he just mm-hmm. like a, he, he took a fight and won his fight. I don't remember who it was against. I, I think it was maybe in Japan before his strike force days. But he told me he literally fought without an ACL. I didn't want to call him out on it. Like, I didn't want to say that doesn't sound right because, you know, it's King Mo. He'd kick my ass. But I, I did think that was a little peculiar that he fought without an ACL. <laughs> like, if, if we don't need him, why don't why don't people just, like, <laughs> remove him, you know? 
No, it, it keeps your knee stable. So I don't, I don't know how, you know, I'm so, if you're fighting, you're standing or your knee could jump out of joint. And I remember after I hurt mine, I really wasn't sure or positive. So I started walking on a little bit and then my knee jumped out of joint again. It kind of oh. keeps, kind of keeps your knee, you know, stable. So I, I don't see how you can fight without an ACL. And I remember speaking of the cadaver, uh, I remember the doctor talking to myself and my mom at the time. And I'm, you know, I'm in my young, my low twenties at the time about whether to have a cadaver or to take something else. They could take like a strain from your hamstring or a strain from your patella tendon. And me being young and naive, I, I just didn't feel right having someone else's anything, you know, like someone else's knee joint or a cadaver in my knee. It didn't seem right. So I was like, you know what, take it. They took a, a third of the middle third of, third of my patella tendon um, and put it as my ACL, which made my patella tendon more susceptible to injury because now I have oh, two man. thirds of a patella tendon and back to my full ACL. So that's what I elected. It's worked out. I've played sports since, haven't re injured, knock on wood. Uh, my basketball days are over now. I don't play basketball anymore, uh, but I did go, in, go on and play basketball for another 10 years or so, uh, just recreationally and, and have been fine. I don't think I would take the cadaver parts either because then it, I don't know, it kind of feels like you're not all you anymore. Like, it's like, wait, yeah. am I, am I going to start to take on the personality of this person? Like, I, I don't know. Do you, do, weird. You, do, you, do you recycle at home, Alex? Uh, yeah, I do begrudgingly because well, it's a pain well, in the is, ass. Well, this is the ultimate in recycling. I mean, yeah, you know, not putting I mean, it in my body. These tendons are all over the place. You need one, you know, let them, let them, <laughs> let it, let it, let it have a new life, a new purpose. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, well, one, uh, we'll, we'll do uh, before we wrap it up in a little bit. We'll do uh, we'll do fight picks for the top fights this weekend in Vegas. But I found this story to be kind of interesting, and I'm not going to bash this dude because he seems like a really genuinely nice guy. Former UFC lightweight champion, uh, he's in Bellator. Benson Henderson, uh, Frank, he, he made he made some interesting comments on the MMA Hour, and he's now a free agent. He's looking for a new deal. So it's like whoever his manager is probably heard him made these comments and was like cursing and like immediately like texting him what are you doing bro so ben henderson told ariel hawani he said for sure i want to resign with bellator he says i want to get a bellator belt wrapped around my waist i need that bellator belt and then he says actually i felt i feel bad for bellator i feel like i underperformed my contract for bellator they paid me a lot of money so I think that I should have done a better job for Bellator. Now, if I think about this like a businessman, I'm like, do not, you're a free agent. Do not tell the company you want to re-sign for that you just underperformed your contract. Does Ariel Hawani get a cut from uh, from uh, Bellator for uh, exposing his negotiating plan? <laughs> it's sad. I mean, that was you know, bad, right? I, I feel bad. But you know what? There's no question they're going to want to re-sign him. I mean, he's still a name. He, didn't he just pick up a win finally? Yeah, I think I think finally after like yeah. three losses. Yeah, it's amazing the slide that he went on. It was like the UFC had a crystal ball when they. Yeah. Uh, I do. I did not see that decline coming as quickly as it did. Yeah, he was really at the top of at the top of the game when you know he was at his peak in the UFC, and then he lost one or two, and UFC let him go, and all of a sudden yeah. he just he's never been the same. And he was at the time in UFC, he was a pretty close to a complete fighter. So I, I don't really know what went wrong in his game. You know whether it was his his striking, his cardio, his wrestling. It seemed like he had a lot of that in his favor at the UFC. But um, you know, age catches up to guys quickly in the UFC. I think, or in MMA in general. I think we kind of underrate that. It's like you could be you could be young one day and old the next, you know, from fight to fight, especially when these guys are fighting once or twice a year. You know, you don't see a guy in the cage for six months 
and they might be a completely different guy than they were six months ago, um, especially when you get up in your, in your 30s and your mid mid 30s yeah. or so. And, and Frank, you, you're right. He did finally pick up a win. He had he had lost uh, two uh, consecutive fights to Michael Chandler, Jason. Look Jackson, at my show prep, man. Look at my show machine. prep. He lost to Brent Primus, and then I know what's going on with Benson Henderson and Bellator. Bellator, Come on, man. So, but but I but you're right. I remember <laughs> that he picked up a win because I lost money on that fight because who he beat by split decision. Islam Mamadov. And so you guys know me. When I'm looking through fight <laughs> bets at betus.com, if I see a fighter whose first name is Islam betting on them, and if their last name ends in a V betting on them, he checks off both of those boxes. So I, I bet the farm on Islam Mamadov. And you know, I, I I lost I lost a little bit of money that night thanks to uh thanks to Benson Henderson's exploits and the judging that caused that fight to be won. Uh but l- l- let's take a look at uh this coming Saturday, February 5th at the Apex in Las Vegas, UFC Fight Night. It's UFC Vegas 46 or UFC Fight Night 200, which is incredibly annoying how there are like two different names for the Vegas cards. Like it's it's really it's really, really weird. Uh, but Jack Hermanson taking on Sean Strickland in the main event. My guy, Sean, I'm the only one on the show who rides with Sean Strickland. And honestly, I favor Sean Strickland in this fight uh, because of his intensity and just uh, he looks more accurate. Uh, with every fight with his striking. He's got some wrestling. I think his wrestling is underrated. There's no question. Jack Hermanson is the better grappler. Uh, I just think that uh, Strickland's going to give him problems on the feet and is probably going to take a decision. Um, I'm very hesitant, though, and I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm not going to bet Sean Strickland on the money line. I'm surprised he's this much of a favorite, guys. Minus 220 versus plus 175 for Jack Hermanson. I'm I like Strickland to win the fight, but I'm not going to bet those odds. Like the only time I bet odds like that is if, you know, somebody like Kamara Usman is fighting and maybe he's favored like minus 300, minus 350, I might bet on it. But I'm not I'm not betting Sean Strickland minus 220. I am though debating James whether to go over or under four and a half rounds, right? Now uh, Sean Strickland, his last fight was a decision win over Uriah Hall, and that that was his first uh, twenty five minute fight ever. He's got a a decent finishing rate, and then on the flip side of it, not saying Jack Hermanson loses often, but four of his last five losses were by stoppage. So if if I'm going to go with my logic of thinking Sean Strickland's going to win this fight, and it's a twenty five minute five round fight. I'm leaning to the under four and a half rounds, which basically just means it's not going to go to a decision, right? I'm, I'm going under four and a half rounds, I think, at minus 110. That might be where I go in this fight. I think that's a great value there. Uh, and I, I can't remember many lines being four and a half rounds. Uh, you know, that's basically you're giving them the full, you know, full fight and saying, okay, it's going to go to a decision or it's not going to go to yeah. a decision. So even there, I mean, I'm a, I'm a kind of a mathematical numbers formula guy I, even doesn't matter the two combatants if they're giving you four and a half rounds doesn't matter the two combatants I, I would take the under so i think that's a very yeah. uh very smart bet now I, I think there's some value there with Hermanson as well uh if you did have to pick you know one one of these two uh fighters his wrestling is is better um obviously and he's and he's tough in general even though he's been finished but um but yeah i i, I would i would take i mean that seems like a shoe in really to, to take yeah. the under uh four and a half rounds uh I, I would even look and see what how many fights, how many five round fights go to decision versus non-decision? 
kind of see what those odds are, uh, what those numbers are. Especially when you start getting this is 185. I mean, you know, I, I could see if it was like 135, it'd probably yeah. go over four and a half rounds. But for 185ers, and Strickland's got Strickland's got serious power. I mean, I, I think may, maybe if Hermanson wins, it might be more likely to be a decision. But if uh, but if I'm picking Strickland, then it seems like under four and a half is the play. What do you think, Frank? Well, I, I, I'm not going to get into the, the gambling analysis because you guys have broken that down breathtakingly well. I would tell you, though, that the middleweight division, they've, they've set this up really nicely. You know, you've got the top whatever, two, four, six, top seven. You've got everyone's paired off. You know, Whitaker and Adesanya are fighting. Brunson and forgive me, but I'm blanking the guy he's fighting his name now. But uh, uh, it was right there, too. Uh, help me out, though, because he's a, he's a terror. He, he's a frightening guy in the division. Um, uh, Cannoneer. Cannoneer. Yeah, Cannoneer. Cannoneer and Brunson are fighting, and they have Strickland and Hermanson fighting, and the only guy not at the party right now but in that top uh, top seven is uh, the Italian. Yeah, so, uh, Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you know so, so, yeah, so, like, three guys are out, right, when this is over. So, for Hermanson or Strickland, it's a big opportunity at the bottom of that list of, of fighters that I just mentioned. And I think it will be Strickland. He comes out of that. You know, he's he's looking at maybe getting a crack at somebody in the top two or three. So, well said. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another yeah. bet that might be a little piece of value here. And it doesn't even really matter who you think is going to win the fight. But I think uh, Sean Strickland to win round one, like on the scorecards at plus 500. Because he, he's a quicker starter, I think, than Hermanson. So... Like, even for those who think, hey, you know, I don't really think Strickland's going to win this fight, I still feel pretty good that he's going to win the first round. And that, so basically, by my logic, that he's going to win the fight and starts quicker, he just don't finish him in the first round because then he doesn't, because this only goes by the scorecard. Guys like that, they start fast, right? Guys like Strickland, again, I'm coming back to the mental illness thing, but he has absolutely zero concern for his well being. So he doesn't size you up. He's not testing range or he's not curious about what you're going to do at all. You're probably going to hit him and he's looking forward to it and he's going to get on with his business. So, yeah, he is a tremendously fast starter. I didn't even know that was a prop, Alex. How do you judge that? You base it on the judges' scorecards? If two two judges give you tens and one says a nine, you give it to... Yeah. yeah, and I, I think it, th- that one goes by the scorecards because I've uh, I've I've spoken to some people who like who don't read the fine print when they play some of these props, right? Who are like, oh, I bet on such and such to win the first round, and he knocked him out in the first round. Why didn't I? It's it's based on it's based on the scorecards after the fact. So keep that in mind. Like if you if you bet Strickland plus five hundred to win round one, and he like chokes him out. 30 seconds in don't jump up and celebrate say why couldn't you prolong the punishment <laughs> no, so i think sense. that's how that's going to go but yeah you you can often find a lot of value in i am not qualified problems. to i am not qualified <laughs> to break down any of these other fights in this card <laughs> yeah. well what so and i i am uh i you know i'm looking at the odds here for the first time i i was feeling pretty good about taking uh Hele soriano puna against nick maximov i i kind of thought the odds would be a little closer but maybe i'll still lock it in puna minus 190 um i may lock that in or maybe put it in uh in a parlay although for parlays i usually find like really big odds and like stack like four or five guys 
and then just kind of take and then one of them always loses like it's always like I'll, I'll do i'll do frank i'll do like a five fight parlay i feel great about where i've got like a minus 350 favorite a minus 420 favorite throw a couple dagestanis in there just to make sure they win and then i get to the fifth fight and i'm counting my money and then that person gets like shockingly tko it happens all the time that's why i am the mush but now i'm, I'm thinking uh i'm thinking soriano i think I, frank said he's refraining from further picks uh who, who do you like james soriano or Mac? <laughs> i'm in the same boat i'm in the same boat i I'm, I'm gonna actually i'm gonna take this time to complain uh and say that you know this ufc has to put on better co-main events and e- yeah. even for even for free fight and I'm, i know they got big fights they have whitaker out of signing coming up and masvidal uh and kobe covington and everything coming up and they just had cyril gone and and gone to the heavyweight championship but but you got to balance it out. I mean, I know they're free cards, but you know it's 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 hard it's it's hard to uh, keep a captive audience to stay up. You know, late. It's, this is a late card, right? Uh, no, I it starts it, early. Main oh, card seven Eastern. Yeah. Okay. Main, that's the main at seven. That's, okay. That's actually, that's actually my wheelhouse there. I yeah. Me too. It's like the old. It's yeah. like the old man show. Oh, thank God! I hate it when these damn things are so late. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite cards are the ones where the main cards start at four. You know how they do those sometimes? Like, oh, when I see that, because sometimes you don't even realize. Because if you go on to like UFC.com, it's not always like front and center what time the fight starts, and then you see like. 4 p.m. Yes, I can be done before I have dinner, and then I can go to. Oh, this is so great! Yep. No, I agree. Ten ending at 10 o'clock with the main event. So, yeah. and a lot of times, I you know I may not watch until the main event. So, um, so yeah, I can check it out at 10 o'clock. I'll be up. I'll, I'll tell you what. What keeps me? Uh, oh yeah, Alex M says I miss the morning cards. I do. You never know when they'll come back. They start going overseas more again. We may get more of the morning cards. Uh, if you're like, if you're the, the guy to reach out to, like Lee Sterling, you know, he was one of our betting gurus. He usually will have like picks for fights that are like curtain jerkers, like the 3 p.m. prelims. He's got the first fight of the day. So if you're looking for a reason to watch the early fights, Lee Sterling is the guy that gives those to uh, We're, we're going to wrap it up here in a moment on five rounds. Wrap it up a little bit early because I, I got to get ready for a uh, another show. I'm going to be I'm going to be on the old AM radio for those who have a chance to listen tonight, uh, whether it be 560 am radio or online on the odyssey app uh, i am going to be filling in on larry bluestein's south florida high school sports show uh and i am i'm dedicating the show tonight to blue i'm going to be i'm going to be filling in on the show uh i think until he gets back healthy and it's not uh it's it's not it's usually going to be on monday nights but i'm feeling tonight it's on thursday because of heat and panther schedule and I'm going to be uh, pushing very hard the GoFundMe page for his family. Uh, Larry has been in the hospital for about the last three weeks. It started, you know, with a, with a case of COVID, but it's it was problematic for him because he's a kidney transplant patient, which is always like he's been juggling medications for like the past 10 years and it's compromised his health. And he had he's had heart issues. So it really hit him hard. There were a ton of complications. Uh, he was intubated on a ventilator for a while, sedated for a while. And it was it was as of about a week and a half ago, it was not looking good. But he is recovering and he's he's going to make it. I mean, he's been off the ventilator. Uh, he actually just left the hospital yesterday to go into a, a rehabilitation center. Uh, and he's got his own room, which he's you know very happy about, which I, I, I hear is not a very common thing in some of those places. And he's eating a little bit sitting up but uh it's it's a long road to recovery so 
I have the honor of, of hosting his show tonight, his weekly South Florida High School sports show. And I'm going to be talking. Uh, and unfortunately, I do not have even one, like 0.1% of the high school sports knowledge that Blue has. So I'm going to be talking mostly college football and National Signing Day tonight at 8. So tune in for that. I'm going to have a few great guests on uh, who all know Blue very well. Andrew Ivins from 247 Sports. Uh, Jakari Givens from the Five Reasons Sports Network, who's a, a former a former uh, high school player and a collegiate football player, and Gary Furman from Canesport.com are going to be joining me on that. So if you guys have a chance to tune in, uh, that'll be 8 o'clock. But any parting comments? Uh, first from you, Frank Zafri, and thank you for promoting the show Twitter account, which I want everybody to follow at 5 underscore MMA. My parting comments, number one, you're doing God's work tonight. Larry Bluestein, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. So yes. I appreciate you doing it, and I hope he gets better soon. My second comment, you better call Dean Thomas and get this meet set up. I've yeah. already added to the team. I've got a mitt guy and a training guy, Brian Jackson, former MMA fighter. He is now working on my striking game. We, we are beginning you started training. already? We are beginning training. Wow. Oh, wait, oh, wait, Dean Thomas is head coach. So I told yeah. him, like, yeah, yeah. Brian, I got to get you up here. You got to meet Dean and, you know, get. But he said he'll go anywhere, wherever Dean says we're training, he'll go. So I, I'm building the team. Get the lunch set up. Let's get this show rolling before right, I lose do, my nerve. Let's do next week at Dive Bar. And, James, you are, <laughs> you are invited to the lunch as well, sir. No, I appreciate it. That's no, implied. That's it. Of course, I don't imply. <laughs> no, I, I I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, I hope Larry Bluestein gets better. And also, I'm in a bit of a dilemma. Maybe you guys can help. Maybe the audience can help in the next couple of weeks. Because of the price hike, I am determined that I'm only going to get either Adesanya Whitaker or Kobe versus Masvidal. I'm not going to buy both. I've made a decision. I'm not paying yeah. 75 for both. So I got to figure out which one to pick. I'm going to be more selective this year, and it's going to start with there. I got the Cyril Ghan and Ganu, but I'm not going to get pay-per-views every single time. So I'm, I'm trying to decide here which one I want to get between those two. So you guys I, I think have the, to help me with that. Th this is one of those where I, I tend to lean more towards the, the title fight, but like I, I, haven't, I haven't looked over, like the, compared the full cards. So it, th this one might be close enough because obviously like the bad blood between Colby and, and Jorge makes that one extra interesting. But I think Adesanya Whitaker's could be a much more competitive fight. So I'd probably lean to that. But this may be one where the tie like might go to whichever the more stacked card is. So I'll have to take a look at those. Yeah. Yep. That's my dilemma the next few weeks. Decide. I love it. Well, we'll 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 revisit this topic next week because uh because and, and next yeah week we're just we gonna are... do a GoFundMe because you're getting both of them uh, so we're, <laughs> we're right. not gonna let that to happen yeah no, well no. and and next week is gonna be our Whitaker Adesanya preview episode so we'll 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 have a uh, we'll have a better idea after a a full analysis but yeah huge shout out to and, and make sure you follow James you see his Twitter handle there at James Walker NFL. Uh, Frank doesn't like to give out his personal account because he's embarrassed about how few followers he has. So follow the show account there at five underscore MMA. Follow me at Alex Dono. And we will talk to you guys next week on another episode of Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network. See ya.